Ruth chapter 3. And I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter and read the whole chapter and go a few verses into chapter 4 as well. So again, a little bit more of a lengthy reading, but I want us to feel and hear this story together. So Ruth chapter 3, this is the word of the Lord. Now Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if He will redeem you, good, let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at His feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And she held, so she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and said, Then, excuse me, I'm sorry about that. Um, And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. 
But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gift of gathering with Your people to worship You and to hear from You. And that is what we want to do now. We want to hear from You. Uh, Would You give us clarity and understanding? And more than that, would You teach us to take what we hear and to put it into practice? And we pray all of these in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look across the street here at the bookshelf of Tallahassee, um, you'll see in the window a poster of Iron Man. And um, that was the first thing my son, JJ, noticed when we arrived at Centerpoint. As he saw Iron Man in the window and he was immediately excited and immediately started asking to go to the bookstore. And I told him there were Iron Man comic books there. And so he just continued every day, Daddy, can we go to the bookstore? And so uh, a few weeks ago Monday, we came down to the store, uh, but it was closed. And uh, so we were disappointed. And then me being the master motivator that I am as a parent, I thought, you know what, next week, first week of school, This would be a great way to motivate J.J. for his first week of school. So I said, J.J., all right, school starts next week. We have a good week. The end of the week, we'll come to celebrate the first week of school, and we'll buy you an Iron Man comic book. And at that moment, J.J. began to live in the future. Every day... And I mean that every day at least twice. He would say to me, Daddy, I can't wait till Friday. Daddy, I can't wait till Friday when we're going to go to the bookstore and buy an Iron Man comic book. Uh, JJ, in a small way, lived with hope this past week. He looked into the future and saw something good. And the way that we view the future whether we are six years old or 60 years old. The way that we view the future impacts the way that we live in the present. And that's what we see in Ruth chapter 3. It's an interesting shift here in this chapter because chapters 1 and 2 of this book are all about the present. How will Ruth and Naomi get the food that they need? How will they find fullness to meet the need of their emptiness right now in Bethlehem at harvest time? But you notice what happens in chapter 3? Now Naomi turns and begins to think about the future, which is an incredible transformation. You see the awakening of Naomi? In chapter 1, she is... God's hand has gone out against me. 
Don't call me Naomi, that means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. My life is over. My life is empty. The end of chapter 2, we see a change where she now is praising God and saying that the kindness of God has not forsaken her and has not forsaken Ruth. And then now what happens in chapter 3 at the beginning? She looks outside of herself and she looks to Ruth and she says, Oh, Ruth, we need to work to secure your future. We need to find rest for you. We need to find a man for you. To have hope is an incredible gift. To be able to look to the future and see good is an amazing gift. And it is a gift that God gave to Naomi and to Ruth. Remember last week we talked about His deep covenant love for His people that we see displayed through this book. And God, in His deep covenant love, has given Naomi and Ruth a future. He has given them hope. They can now look to the future and see fullness rather than emptiness. And remember that the covenant love of God that we see in Ruth anticipates a greater expression of God's covenant love in His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we are in Jesus, we have been given a future. We have been given hope. We can look into the future and see fullness. A shattered world put back together. Our dying bodies raised and remade. We have been given hope in Jesus Christ. But... What does that have to do with Monday morning? What does that have to do with tomorrow as you get up and begin your week? What does it mean to live with hope? How does the future impact the way that we live in the present? Well, I want to look at Ruth chapter 3, and we'll see two aspects of how hope impacts us, the kind of life that it creates for us. And these two things are hope makes us vulnerable, And hope gives us confidence. Okay? So first of all, hope makes us vulnerable. Naomi's plan in chapter 3 is a horrible idea. (laughs) It is a bad plan. Uh, Think about what she does. She sends a single foreign woman out in the middle of the night to what is essentially a frat party, um, and sends her to propose marriage to a man that is way out of her league. Okay? Um, So, I talked about being forced to watch gymnastics. Um, I've also been forced in this past year to watch the show Downton Abbey. Um, And uh, so, you know, and that show is all about crossing social barriers. And there's all this drama uh, with the daughter of the Earl and her romance with the driver, right? Um, And it was this shocking thing in their culture uh, in the early uh, 20th century, okay? Multiply that by a thousand, and that is how shocking it is for Ruth to propose marriage uh, to Boaz. This is a bad idea. This is a bad uh, plan. The context of night 
uh, in uh, connection with the fact that the words lie down are repeated eight times in the middle of this chapter. And I'll just say that those words have a connotation that mean more than something other than just literally putting your body on the ground. Okay? And I'm trying to be sensitive with that, but you can work out the implications there. Okay? And that in connection uh, with uh, the, the event of threshing. Okay? Uh, in the ancient world, uh, people lived very integrated lives. And so... The fertility that was celebrated at the threshing floor, so we've had a great crop, was deeply connected with something else connected to fertility. Okay? And uh, so the stories and the writings we have about the practice and the celebration of threshing uh, are um, very PG-13. Um, or, or worse, okay? Um, and then all of that uh, in connection with the fact that Naomi tells Ruth to go down in the middle of the night uh, into this uh, party and to uncover Boaz's feet, okay? And again, I'll just say that has a connotation that is more than just the literal uncovering of the feet. Ruth is basically saying, I'm available, Okay? So Naomi here, with her plan, sends Ruth perilously close to a life-ruining experience of shame and violence. This is an incredibly dangerous thing that Ruth does. But Ruth, in hope, obeys. She goes. In hope, in looking to the future and Seeing the potential of fullness, she goes into this very dangerous and risky situation. And that's very consistent with what we've learned about Ruth. Remember that um, instead of returning to the safety of her mom's house in Moab, she chooses to walk the dangerous road to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. Instead of staying at home, With Naomi, she goes out to the very difficult work of the fields of Boaz. And then here in this chapter, instead of remaining comfortable with what she had been able to accomplish for her and Naomi, uh, she moves out into this uncomfortable night. And Ruth here is a part of a pattern that is consistent throughout Scripture. And it's a pattern of the way God works in people's lives. It's a pattern that is consistent when God calls someone. And in fact, scholars say that this story has been told in a way that it intentionally connects Ruth to Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham? God calls him uh, from a pagan Land that it is his home. He calls him away from his family, away from all of the things that give him security in life. He calls him away from false gods and he says, uh, Come to this place that you've never seen. Come to this place that you know nothing about, and I am going to give you hope. I am going to give you a home. And Abraham, in hope, goes, he obeys. It's the same movement that we see Ruth making in this book. It is a movement from safety to vulnerability. 
And God never gives someone hope without calling them to risk. He never promises a bright future without taking someone into the darkness of the night. And this pattern is not just for Ruth, it's not just for Abraham, but it is for us as well. When Jesus calls us, when He gives us hope and tells us to follow Him, what does He say? Take up your cross and follow Me. And what is the cross but the darkest night? Jesus, in calling us to the cross, takes us perilously close to life-ruining shame and violence. Jesus calls us into risk. He calls us into danger. He calls us into vulnerability. But what do we do when we experience that in our lives? When we deal with danger, we, we think there's something wrong with that, right? We think that should not be a part of our Christian experience. We should not experience darkness, only light. But that's not the way Jesus works. Christian hope does not take us out of risk. It moves us toward risk. And yes, as Christians, we look to a glorious resurrection. But never resurrection without the cross. Never resurrection without risk, without struggle, without death. So when Jesus calls you to vulnerability, will you in hope go? When He calls you to reconcile that relationship... And to reconcile that relationship, you have to say, I was wrong. Vulnerable, right? That's vulnerability. That's risk. That is opening yourself to shame. But when Jesus calls you to that type of reconciliation, will you in hope go? When He calls you to sacrificial service, to serve those very difficult people in your job, in your community, your neighborhood, your family. And it's uncomfortable and it is painful. Will you in hope go? When He calls you to generosity, a generosity that might threaten your sense of financial stability, will you in hope go? Will you hear His call to take up the cross and follow Him? To enter into the night, into danger, into risk because of the hope that He has given to you. Now, why would you want to do that? The experience of vulnerability is not a fun experience. Um, We were... When we were living in Malawi, Malawi has one of the largest lakes in the world. 
And it is, it is a gorgeous place. It's beautiful and has these gorgeous beaches. And uh, so we uh, took a weekend and went over to Lake Malawi as a family. And we were with some other friends as well. And uh, we spent the morning out in the water. And it's, it's very shallow, very far out. And so the kids could be out there and play. And we just had a great time as a family and with friends enjoying the water, swimming together. And then I see a man uh, come out, and there were some people sitting on the beach. And he talked to them, and they got really big eyes. And they looked at us and said, come out of the water. And, and we walked out of the water, and we said, what's going on? And uh, my friend said, well, uh, there have been multiple sites of a massive crocodile over the past three or four hours in this area of Lake Malawi. <laughs> vulnerable, right? Uh, An immediate feeling of, I've just had my very edible daughter in the water for three hours, right? Um, Not a pleasant experience to find out that you were at risk, that you were in danger. Why would we want to follow Jesus into vulnerability, into danger? Well, because hope not only makes us vulnerable, but it also gives us confidence. Hope gives us confidence. Um, the reason that Naomi's plan is not ridiculous, okay, and that Ruth's actions are not absurd, is because they completely rely on the character of Boaz. They completely rest on who he is as a man. Uh, do you notice the beginning and end of, of chapter 3, is there's an interesting connection. Um, Naomi looks at Ruth and says, okay, let's look to the future. And he says, she, she says it this way. She says, I want to help you find rest. Right? I want to help you find security, rest. And that word rest is repeated at the end of chapter 3. When Naomi says to Ruth, the man will not rest until he has done all that he has said. What, what's Naomi saying? She's saying, we can, we can engage in this very risky and dangerous plan because of what we know about Boaz. That he will be who we need him to be. And it's not just Boaz as kind of a vague, oh, he's, he's a great guy. He's a good man. No, it is Boaz in his character reflecting God's character. Okay? Naomi and Ruth have confidence because they see that Boaz's character reflects God's character. When Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz, what does she say? She says, spread your... Some translations say garment. It should say wings. Spread your wings over me. Now, if you're paying attention to the book of Ruth, that should send off lights and bells because we've heard that word before in chapter 2, verse 12. Remember, Boaz describes the fullness that Ruth is experiencing and he says, the reason you're experiencing all these good things is because you have done what? You have put yourself under God's wings. So you see what Ruth is saying? She is saying, Boaz, I am trusting that you will act like God. That in the way that God protects His people, you will protect me and you will protect 
Naomi. You will be an instrument of God's kindness, of God's trustworthiness, of God's love to us. So the reason Naomi and Ruth could be vulnerable here was because they were confident that God's love was at work through Boaz. They had hope that God was at work in who this man was. And of course, Boaz confirms their confidence in every way here. In protecting Ruth, in providing for Ruth and Naomi, and in taking on the role of a redeemer. That's a really important word. Of course, if you've been around the church, you've heard that word a lot. Um, But it's connected to what we talked about last week. Whether these sets of instructions that God had given to His people uh, to teach them to take care of people who were disadvantaged. And so He had laws that helped them to take care of women who had been widowed. And the laws told the relative of the widow that they had to take care of her. That someone had to step up and if it was to purchase land, if it was to provide a marriage for her so that um, she could continue the name of her deceased husband, the relatives of this woman had to step up and redeem her, take care of her, rescue her, and protect her. And the individual that did that was called the Goel, which is this term that's translated redeemer. And Boaz takes on uh, this role very willingly. And, and we need to realize that to do this is to take on incredible cost to himself. And that's the point of this other Redeemer and why I read into chapter 4 where you've got this other guy and he's a little bit more closely related uh, to Naomi and so he has the right to redeem first and Boaz, so he initiates this legal proceeding. And Boaz, a very skillful communicator here uh, because he says first, hey, Naomi, she needs redeemed. You're related to her. You're a closer relation than I am. She has some land connected to her name. Are you willing to redeem her? Dollar signs, right? Because that's an investment. That's a good investment. There's land. And honestly, Naomi's old. She's not going to live that much longer. Uh, She can't bear children. She really can't be married at this point. And so, no risk, right? It's all good investment with no risk. And so the guy says, sure, I would be happy to be a redeemer. And then Boaz says, well, there's one little extra thing here. There's one other part that I didn't mention. With the land, with Naomi, you also get Ruth the Moabite. Okay? And you have to realize that this redeemer's responsibility um, would again to provide a marriage for her, which would have mean the potential of children, which would mean that the inheritance that would belong to his existing children would have to be split among even more children. Okay, And he has the cost of caring and providing for the potential of a lot more people. Okay, And so all of a sudden the investment is a little bit more costly. And he, okay, you can have it, Boaz. No, no thank you. Um, and the point of that is to see a contrast with Boaz. That you have one potential redeemer unwilling to take the cost. And Boaz as a redeemer willing to embrace the cost of rescuing and providing uh, for Ruth and Naomi. 
He's willing to absorb the risk and to demonstrate God's love to them as a Redeemer. And with this in mind, do you understand why the New Testament calls Jesus a Redeemer? Why the New Testament takes that word and that concept and applies it to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus did not only reflect God's character, He was God in the flesh. He was the embodiment of God's covenant love and kindness to His people. And in order to redeem those people, He embraced not only a financial cost, but the cost of death. To redeem, to rescue those who were separated from God by sin, those who were orphaned by sin. Jesus embraces the role of a Redeemer. He takes on the cost so that He can give us a future. So that He can give us hope. And just as we see with Naomi and Ruth their confidence in God's love at work through Boaz, we can live in confidence because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because that we know that Jesus has and will continue to act as a Redeemer. And that's the confidence that we can have that will lead us to live a life of risk. We can spend our lives so many times looking for sources of security, of confidence. Trying to find things that will create stability for us. It might be um, a high enough education. Uh, It might be financial Stability. Um, it, it might be the right friendship or a marriage or the right relationship. But we look to all of those things to, to try to find something that will act as a redeemer for us. Something that will create the confidence that we long for to look into the future and to know that the future possesses fullness. And the problem with that is twofold. First of all, all of those sources of confidence that we go to prevent us from living the lives of vulnerability to which Jesus calls us. So, I will not pursue that reconciliation in that relationship if I am protecting my reputation. Okay? If my competency and my reputation is what gives me security, I'm not going to pursue the reconciliation that forces me to admit I was wrong. I'm not going to generously serve those difficult people if my confidence is in my own comfort and my own pleasure. If I'm protecting that... I'm not going to enter into the sacrifice that it takes to serve hard people. If my confidence rests in money, I'm not going to live the life of generosity that Jesus calls me to. Not only do these sources of confidence teach or keep us from vulnerability, but they, they also fail us. 
they fail to provide the confidence and hope that we want. They fail to bear the weight of our need. They cannot provide lasting fullness. So on Friday, I went to Kate Sullivan Elementary and I picked JJ up. And when he saw me, his face lit up because this was the day he had been living for the whole week. This was his hope. And so we drive down and walk to the bookstore and we go in and we spend some time in there and and we purchase him a couple of books and some toys and we had to get Georgia a book too because you know you got to keep it even and so we walk back and I'd parked here so we walk across the street I put him in the van um, in his seat and I crank up the van (laughs) and then there's a moment of silence and then all of a sudden JJ says um daddy next week (laughs) (laughs) Right? His hope had not sustained him. (laughs) It could not give him the sustained fullness that he was looking for. It was a false hope. It was a false confidence because it could give a moment of satisfaction and then it failed. And then you're looking for another one. But that's so often how we live our lives, is we put out these hopes of accomplishment. And maybe we get it, and maybe there's a moment of satisfaction, and then it fails to sustain us. So where do you find your hope? Where will you look for confidence this week? Will you look to the certainty that Jesus has and will act as your Redeemer. And will you let that confidence lead you into the life of vulnerability to which He calls you? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the beautiful story that we see unfold in the book of Ruth. Um, And we thank You that it's not only a nice story to read, but it is a story that points us towards You. It points us towards Your character as a Redeemer. It points us to Your faithful and abiding love for us through Jesus Christ. And we thank You that in Him we have hope. We look into the future and we see fullness. And Lord, we ask that this week we would live in that hope. That You would teach us to live with confidence in Jesus as our Redeemer. And that confidence would lead us into a life of risk, a life of vulnerability, uh, so that we can love You and love our neighbors. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.